0: Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank.
1: This weekend we're celebrating Memorial Day weekend. Now we see it as the unofficial start of the summer season. But the real purpose of Memorial Weekend is to remember the sacrifices of the men and women who gave that ultimate sacrifice of their lives in service to our country. It is those people who have kept us safe and free from oppression. We remember them through lots of different activities, such as parades and speeches and flowers in their graves. But as we remember them, it's also important to remember the one Who gave the most important sacrifice for us once for all the just for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God. So today as we honor our fallen soldiers, our heroes who have given their lives for us, we also want to remember our great savior who gave his life for us. Because while we are set free by the people who have kept us from oppression we are set free spiritually for eternity through jesus christ if we will simply believe i'm debbie blank welcoming you to living word ministries this memorial weekend and i'm jackie
0: sailors on memorial day our family has a tradition a kind of a routine you might even call it a ritual where we all get together and we meet for breakfast, and then we caravan from one cemetery to the next where each of our family members are buried. There we share memories and we honor our loved ones. And when we do that, we also pause to honor the legacy that they left us and the faith in Jesus that they passed on to us. It's really actually a wonderful bonding time with uh, all the extended family members that
1: we don't always get to see. And from the little kids on up, we always look forward to it. Now, see, you've extended Memorial Day a little bit, and that's what we've done in our culture. We have extended it to honor our fallen heroes, but also our fallen family members, our people who have passed away before us. I do love the way that you do it, where you not only honor them, but you honor their legacy, their Christ-centered legacy in your life. And what a blessing that is. So we've done with Memorial Day, just like we've done with many of our traditions in life. We've secularized them a little bit. We've kind of moved to Veterans Day as a time to celebrate all of our military and our veterans, but we also kind of celebrate them on Memorial Weekend also, as well we should. We should be celebrating our veterans all the time. I love the way whenever I get on an airplane and there's a active service person, the pilot will oftentimes mention them by name and thank them and the people in the cabin will clap for them. What a great way to show gratitude. For them and all they give because their lives could be given for you and I at any time. Even those who come back safe and sound struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder and issues like that. So we need to be grateful for every one of them, as well as our police and our firemen because they keep us safe also. So we've kind of added a lot to Memorial Weekend and to Veterans Day as it comes up. But you also say we extend it to our family members. Is that bad? No, I think it's just a way we do it. It's important, however, that we remember that this day is a time to remember anyone, whether it's family or whether it's people in the armed services or Jesus Christ, people who've gone before us, who set a legacy for us of freedom. And so many of these people in our own families, maybe they
0: were first responders or maybe they were in the military, but even as parents and relatives, family members, they made sacrifices for us. They gave up a lot of things for us and left us that wonderful legacy of faith in Jesus Christ. So to us, it's very, very
1: meaningful. I was surprised when I did some research to find out that the idea of a memorial day to those who died in war goes way back to the Greeks and the Romans. The first public tribute to the war dead was in 431 BC during the Peloponnesian War in Greece. Oh my, that was a long time ago. Now for us, it really started in the Civil War. It started unofficially when women, specifically the Ladies Memorial Association, would put wreaths or flowers on the graves of the fallen soldiers and they would bring their families there have some type of a solemn memorial service or memorial time or speeches. That's how it really started here until General John Logan in 1868 actually is the first one who decreed that May 30th should become a nationwide day of commemoration. Actually, they called it Decoration Day then, rather than Memorial Day. It was always considered a Civil War Memorial until World War I when we started including more wars and more people who'd passed away during the wars and that. While the term Memorial Day was first used in 1882, we didn't really make it a law officially until 1971. It was 1968 when it was approved, but it was 1971 when legally in our country, Memorial Day, that name was to be celebrated the fourth Monday every May. So here we are, just more in our modern times, having chosen that day as a remembrance, of those people who've given their lives for our freedoms. And I think it
0: might be important to say here there are some cultures and some religions that actually place food on the graves or things like that where they are not just honoring their relatives, but it's almost, it is almost a form of worship in some countries and in some cultures. And that's not what we're doing here. We're not worshiping them as such. We're honoring them and we're
1: honoring the legacy. And that's important that we do so because it causes us to remember them. Remembering is so important. Remembering our past, remembering what these people did for us, remembering our family members, remembering the legacy of Jesus Christ. It's all about remembering. That's what a Memorial is. You place a gravestone so you can remember you go to visit it to remember. That's why I think this Memorial weekend is a great time for us to remember Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the greatest sacrifice that's been given for all mankind, for the forgiveness of sins. Countries rise and fall. But what Jesus did was once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. He's the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of mankind, for you and me, so that we can have access to God. So we wanna spend the rest of this Memorial Day talking about Jesus Christ and what he did, but more specifically, the remembrance that we are to do, that Jesus commands us to do, to remember the sacrifice that he gave for us.
0: It's interesting too that when you go to the cemetery, it does make you face your mortality. And so you do think, I mean, I do, I think about Jesus and I think about the faith that his promises, he went to prepare a place for us, that my loved ones who are believers will be where I can see them again for eternity and be with Jesus. So it really isn't a depressing thing for my family. It's an uplifting thing.
1: What a blessing. I'm so glad you're sharing these personal stories Mm -hmm. because that really is encouraging, It keeps our eyes focused on what it should be focused on. And that's really Jesus Christ, as well as, of course, our former family members who led us to Jesus Christ. Jesus is so important to us. I mean, he died on the cross. The terror and the suffering and the pain that he endured. Why? Because he loves us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, that's it right there. He loves us. So he gave his life for us. It goes on to say that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God died for everybody, but for those of us who get to enjoy the benefit of his death on the cross, which is saving us from our sins, we must believe. And if we believe, we have eternal life. That's what that passage says. Second Corinthians 5:21 also reminds us that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We cannot become the righteousness of God on our own. it has to come through Jesus Christ. He was sinless. He took on our sins at the hours on the cross, in order that He might be the propitiation or the satisfaction to cover the sins so that God wouldn't look at us as sinners anymore. He'd look at us as redeemed people through Jesus Christ, saved by the blood of Christ. Along with that, we know that we are saved from the blood of Christ because again, he loved us. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Boy, now that's a legacy a death that we should honor all the time. I love
0: that verse. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's one that I that comes up into my heart a lot just to think that he didn't just die for people who loved him, but he died for those of us who didn't know him, maybe were in rebellion against him, but we were all sinners when
1: he went to the cross for us. That's unconditional love. If he had not done that, we could never have access to God. The people in the Old Testament could not go into the throne of grace because there had been no death, no payment for the sins. There had been no resurrection. And Christ is the first resurrection, the first fruits of righteousness. There had been none of that. They couldn't go into the throne room of God. You and I can because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He made the way for all of us. He did. And he began this institution that we know of his giving his life for us at the Last Supper. Now, obviously, this was planned by God at the beginning when sin entered the world back in Genesis 3, 15, when a Savior was promised. But Jesus, when he came to earth and lived his sinless life, it was at the Last Supper that he started to initiate the new covenant with his people and that he gave them a way to remember him, not just a Memorial Day where they go to the gravestones once a year and honor their loved ones but instead a remembrance in what we call communion. That's what he gave us to remember, his sacrifice. So let's look at that in Luke chapter 22. This is the Last Supper. It's Passover that Jesus is celebrating with his disciples. He says in verse 14, When the hour had come, he reclined at table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat again of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Well, this is very important to understand what Jesus is doing when he takes this cup. When he does, he's enjoying the Passover dinner with his apostles There are four cups of wine that they use in a Passover celebration. The third cup is specifically known as the cup of redemption. So Jesus is believed, took that cup of redemption, basically saying, I am going to be the one redeeming you. And then when he took it, he said, I won't drink this again until the kingdom of God comes. That is saying to his disciples, I am your redeemer. This is the cup that I'm going to drink and I'm going to bear. And we know elsewhere in scripture, he's going to bear it with his blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. That's new covenant being mentioned in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, with Jesus's blood initiating that new covenant.
0: And this is the fulfillment of God's eternal plan of salvation that they had rehearsed over and over again all these years. He says, this is who I am. And this is what I'm going
1: to be doing for you. Then he went on in verse 19. It says, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So here, Jesus takes the bread. He breaks it. Well, he is going to be broken in a few hours when he's dead on the cross for our sins. This also represents in the Passover tradition, the breaking of the Afikoman. The Afikoman was the middle piece of three pieces of matzah it's still celebrated this way today the leader of the home would take that middle piece he would break it and he would hide it away tuck it into a white linen cloth and hide it from everyone well doesn't that sound like jesus being tucked into a linen cloth in his burial and hidden away in the grave But then later that afikomen, that piece of matzah is brought forward and there's a big celebration just as when Jesus would rise from the dead and there will be a big celebration. So Jesus is taking the articles of Passover and he's saying, I am the fulfillment of Passover with my blood, the wine, the source of redemption, and with my body being broken on the cross for the forgiveness of sins for all. Mankind, this is set up so beautifully
0: that it's all about Jesus, it always has been from God's eternal plan. He's just revealing
1: that to them now. That's why He says, Do this in remembrance of me. He's giving us a memorial, something to do to remind us always of Christ's death, His burial, and His resurrection. And that's what we call today communion. He finishes up this passage and says, In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And that's a very important verse that we've already expressed in that it was poured out. It represents the blood of Christ and he represents the establishment of the new covenant. When the spirit of God will indwell mankind and not just be written on their hearts, according to Jeremiah 31. So when Jesus says, do this remembrance of me, he's setting up the institution of communion. The institution of communion isn't going to save us. It's just designed to remind us of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us, because that is the gospel message. That is the truth by which we are to live. So communion reminds us of this truth. If it's made to be a ritual, if it happens all the time and we just do it by rote, then we're not remembering what Christ wanted us to remember in that he is the one who made the way for us to move from eternity away from him to eternity with him through his death. The word remembering is so important. So
0: you have to be present in the moment. You have to take communion in a worthy manner and with your mind present so that you are deeply remembering who he is, what he did for
1: you, and then that promise of the future. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that passage. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because here is the only place that we have some instructions as far as how we are to do communion. In the Gospels, Jesus gives the first communion at Passover, but all we see is what he did and what it was for. I mean, we have the purpose of communion in the Gospels, but here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is giving us some instructions. So let's begin in verse 23. Paul says, for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's quoting Jesus' direct words as Paul is sharing this information. Verse 25, in the same way, Jesus took a cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Well, that's the memorial. Now, did you catch that where Jesus' words are, do this as often as you drink it? how often are we supposed to have communion? Every day, every week, every month? You know, the Bible never tells us. It really depends on the traditions that you're used to. I know the Catholic Church does it at every Mass they offer communion. So if you go to daily Mass, you have daily communion. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it every month. Some do it every year as if it were the Passover meal. Some families do it as families on Christmas Eve. When we're in Israel, we celebrate communion at the garden tomb where we believe Jesus may have been resurrected. So there's no rhyme or reason. The Bible doesn't tell us when to do it, how often to do it, where to do it. It's just that we are to do it. And who's to do it? Over in verse 22, it says it's the church of God. The church of God would only be believers in Jesus Christ, those who surrendered their lives to follow Jesus Christ. So those people who believe in Jesus Christ are technically the only ones who are supposed to receive communion. As in many Protestant denominations, if you belong to our denomination or not, it doesn't matter. You simply need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Some denominations believe you can only receive communion if you're a member of that denomination. So everybody's got a little different tradition
0: I knew of somebody who wasn't a Christian who was visiting a church on the Sunday that they were doing communion and was quite offended because they didn't understand this isn't just food and drink. This isn't just something we're doing and we're leaving you out. But it's very, very important to be a believer because that would be taking it unworthily if you weren't.
1: I have a friend who takes communion to the Catholic Church He's a former Catholic, but he goes to a Protestant church now. So I asked him about that because the Catholics believe differently than the Protestants believe. They believe that the communion service is the transubstantiation. And just so that I quote it properly, I wanna read to you from the Catholic Catechism, section 1376. They believe by the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. So they believe when they're taking it, it's not a remembrance simply, it's actually becomes the blood of Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ. So they are taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ internally. That's a different belief than the Protestants. So when I go to a Catholic church, I don't take communion because I don't believe that. But I have a friend who takes communion there and what he says is, I'm taking communion the way I understand the biblical mandate of communion is. They can believe whatever they want, but that's what I'm doing. So uh, I'm just telling you how different people do different things. So let's go back now with that said to verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11 to understand more about communion. It says here, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you do this, that means we are to do it often but not to the point that it becomes rote or automatic and we lose what God's plans are for it. And that is that we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ. And how long are we supposed to do that? Until he comes. When he comes, we don't need to do it anymore because he's going to be there. He'll
0: be having it with us. Amen.
1: (laughs) But we are to do it until he comes because we are to constantly remember what he did for us. Let's turn to verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, what does it mean to take communion in an unworthy manner? He doesn't tell us that. So we have to use a little conjecture. Certainly an unworthy manner would be sin. If we are in sin, we should not be taking this holy remembrance of Christ's death for our sins. So that makes perfect sense to me, even though the context doesn't say it. But is it relegated to sin only? Maybe it could be in an unworthy manner, which is just our hearts aren't right. Maybe we don't have sin, but we're struggling with an attitude issue. Or we're not sure who Jesus is. We haven't surrendered our life to him. It could be that, or maybe we're just taking it because it's a ritual and we're going up to church to do it. That would be an unworthy manner. I'm sure there's a lot of reasons it could be unworthy.
0: I just wanted to run that past you again when I said somebody who was in the church and was offended because they weren't supposed to go up and take communion. Would that be an unworthy manner if an unbeliever goes up and takes communion?
1: It could be considered by some as such. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something that we need to do before God and say, God, where are we? Because the next verse tells us we need to do that very thing. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. So we're to examine ourselves. We're to judge ourselves before we go to communion. And I believe that's to determine where our heart is, where our heart is with Jesus Christ, where our heart is regarding sin, and therefore where our heart is with mankind. So that our hearts are pure. Just think about it. We are to have this memorial where we remember Christ's death. We remember the gospel message. We remember what he did for us. We remember that he's Lord of our lives. But it also causes us to do a self-evaluation, to confess our sins before God, before we do this, so that we can be in a right relationship with God. So we talked about how it's very important to not take communion in an unworthy manner. Are there consequences to that? There's consequences to everything that we do wrong because God is a just God, a righteous God. He lays out things in order and we must follow them in order. If we don't, there are consequences. Salvation is certainly an example of that. God lays out the salvation through Jesus Christ. He is our redeemer. He paid the price for the penalty of our sins. We are to believe in him and surrender to him by faith in Jesus Christ. And the consequence, if we don't, is we will spend eternity away from him. That's the most severe consequence we can ever experience. But we know consequences in the Bible. When people turned away from God, like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, they were killed because they disobeyed God and they lied to the Holy Spirit. Here, if we take communion in an unworthy manner, we have a similar consequence. In verse 30, we're told for this reason, and the reason is, that we don't judge the body rightly. We don't examine ourselves properly. And then we take communion. We profess the body and blood of Jesus Christ when in fact we are walking in sin or we haven't believed it at all. It says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. That means a number die. So people are weak and sick and they die because they are not taking communion in a worthy manner. How many times do we go to communion and we just do it? Our pastor can say a wonderful thing, but we go, oh, I know that. I've heard that a million times. And yeah, okay. And we're thinking of our grocery list or something else. And we take communion in an unworthy manner. We don't think about the purpose of communion, which is a reminder of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Proclaiming the Lord's death, that's pretty solemn. If we don't take communion that way, that's dishonoring God. That's saying God's not important. What he's done for us isn't important. There's has consequences to something like that.
0: It's pretty sobering to think about that. I think that in modern day times, we don't
1: really consider that verse and the consequences in that verse. No, we don't. And then we're promised in the next verse. If we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. God's not going to hold us accountable for a wrongdoing if we haven't committed a wrongdoing. It's only for those people who don't accept communion in the right way. Communion is a ritual, but it's one that has purpose and that has meaning. It's just like Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ isn't a cuss word. It's not a word to be used lightly. It's not a name to be taken in vain. His name is the name above all names. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His name is powerful. And we are not to take that lightly, but we do. We're not to take the word of God lightly, but we do. We take it for granted. Oh, how the people, before the printing press was ever printed, would have loved to have had God's word in their hands so they could get to know God. How people in prison in other countries would love to have a piece of the word of God. And we've got more Bibles published than any other book in the whole world ever, and we don't read it. Or if we do read it, we just kind of read it according to the way that we want to read it instead of the truth of God and the memory of Jesus Christ. This book from beginning to end is all about Jesus Christ. Promises of who he was going to be and what he was gonna do for us. Fulfillment of what he did for us at the cross. And then more promises about his return, his millennial kingdom, his judgment before the millennial kingdom. It's just full of stuff all about Jesus Christ. We need to take this book seriously. We need to take communion seriously. Because if we take communion in an unworthy manner, there are consequences. Plus, personally, I just want to be able to focus on Jesus so that he and I can have communion together before I ever take the act of communion. That's important to me. Is that important to you? Do you take communion in a right manner or is it a ritual to you? I hope you'll see communion in a whole new light after this discussion. What an awesome Memorial weekend it is. As we think about the memory of Jesus Christ, as we think about the remembrance that he calls us to remember him by in communion, the Lord's supper communion is simply a remembrance of what Christ did for us and a celebration of what we receive as a result of his sacrifice. Let's see Memorial day as a gratefulness for those who died for us, for our country, but more importantly, as a grateful attitude and a response to Jesus Christ, who died for us, for our sins.